Hi, this is Steve Addison for the Movements Podcast, a podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. Today, we're talking to Bill Smith about developing leaders for the long haul, no matter where they are in the world. In 1974, my wife and I went to Lausanne, Switzerland, and participated at Lausanne Conference. And the majority of the people there were from Latin America, India. Unfortunately, there was nobody from Communist China at that time, but there was lots of two-thirds world people. And so as a relatively young person, we rubbed shoulders as the younger brothers and sisters of lots of mature African and Latin American and Asian leaders. So we started our ministry recognizing that we were going to countries, probably, where there were some really mature leaders God had already raised up that we could learn from and we could partner with, which is a bit different. All those many years ago, we didn't go to Thailand. I mean, we had so much to bless the Thai leaders with, but we went recognizing one of our first stops, first year to his missionaries, we were going to visit as many Thai pastors and leaders as possible and say, show us what you've learned about evangelizing this country. So that was that was sort of our foundation in, in getting involved with, with this whole mission enterprise I mean, more than 50 years ago. Okay, you asked you ask for stories. Um, um, I can think of a, a young man in the country of Nepal. Um, I was at a training in another country. There were 50, 60 uh, uh, people from all over South Asia. You know, and they took notes and said nice things about whatever I trained. But he pursued me to say, help me win my country. And he aggressively pursued me because... I'm getting old. I know that as much traveling as I used to, but he aggressively pursued me. And so it, it turned out I could end up spending about four days with him. And unlike a lot of other training situations that I go to, the whole time I was he was right there at my elbow learning from me and asking me how I did application. Okay, that's what I was looking for. Okay. Uh, and then I invested several days into him and a team of his people. And I got to meet his wife and his child and all of that. And then he initiated contact with me to say, here's what happened with your people. And 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 I'm a Baptist and I freedom it. And I love pictures of people. And so he knows it. So he is consistently when in the last six weeks, I guess I've gotten three more pictures of cohorts of people being baptized in the really cold Himalayan streams there. So he shows me the results and he asked me how to kinds of questions. Okay. Um, in, uh, in that particular arrangement, uh, we had to go through all of the normal situations of him saying, well, I could use money for this and I could use money for that. And I said, that's fine. I'm retired. I don't have an organization behind me. You get money from anybody you want to praise God. I'll pray for you. But but I except for paying my own expenses when I visited him, I'm not giving anything. And he's resourceful, and, and God is blessed, and 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 he has what he needs. But but one of the things I learned is it really complicates my relationship like that if I'm the one financially supporting the ministry. Mm-hmm. And so there's a training that's underway right now that if he had more money, he probably could have triple the number of people there but he doesn't have 
So he's got a third as many. So he's really narrowed down and 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 really focused on his best quality people. And and I'm not the only one, but but there's some outstanding things going on in the lives and ministry of a cohort he has training right now. So so you asked me about what's happening. Okay. In 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 that country of Nepal, there are there are young adults mature in the Lord who have a vision for evangelizing their own their own country. And they're eager for help, but they're eager for certain kinds of help. There are kinds of help that meets their agenda of what they think they need. A, a man from Nigeria, a good friend of mine, just passed away of COVID about a month and a half ago. Uh, uh, Jacob Kosi, uh, was a pastor in Lagos. Uh, I've known him for maybe 20 years. All right. He was he's pastoring a pretty good-sized church in Lagos. He'd started five or six others. Okay. But he had a real heart for the unreached. He had a real heart. Okay. On his own, he was going from, from Lagos and West Africa all the way to East Africa and spreading a missionary message, going to tribes there. He knew in his own country that, especially in the north, the area that Boko Haram's overrun, that there were tribes with, with almost no almost no believers. So... 15 years ago, through some friends, contacted me and said, Bill, up in the northeastern part of our country, Nigeria, there's a tribe called Mamuya. Um, they're, they're, they're surrounded by Hausa and Fulani. Uh, nobody's reaching them, and I don't really know how to do that. So as peers, we came together, and I worked with him. And, and and the character of the man is we got some funding for me to go up to this remote area. And, and that was okay. because he's a pastor and he has other urban churches. He arranged to take 10 of his urban pastors with us to learn from the whole process as he and I learned. And I modeled for him reaching totally literates up there, Muslim rural, rural people. So so he intentionally brought his guys along. Okay, that's what I'm looking for. I'm not necessarily looking for somebody who just wants to learn. But from as soon as we're in relationship, he's saying, I've got disciples. Mm. I've got people I'm working that I want to bring along. See, that that's that's how do I filter people? I'm looking for those who, before we even meet, they have a desire to pass it on, to raise up more than just, just themselves. Yeah. Okay, so back 2005, 6, 7, multiple trips up there to uh, uh, northeast Nigeria. I mean, literally, we started with a bunch of that particular tribal group that had come to some towns and and maybe were Christian. Anyway, we had to get a bunch of, we had to get several of them saved and then equip them to go back into their own area. And multiple trips, three long trips, living together. This man lived with me. I lived with him. We, we lived at the same level. Um, and he kept at it year after year after year. And I got reports from him and reports from the others. And, and then that was an early area that was overrun by Boko Haram. And, and so they scattered. Uh, I think with that particular tribe, they're all, 
think we got up to about 14,000 baptized MBBs in, in, in that particular. And then Boko Haram came through, my Duguri, they scattered. Some made to Cameroon, some uh, Chad. Uh, a few of them have come down to Lagos. We reestablished some contact there. But it's a genuine Acts 8-1 situation in which we had several years working with them. And then the scattering came. But now, now to come back to that man, I got to know him as a father. I got to know him as a husband. I got to see him interacting with his wife. I got to see him interacting with his adult children. I had a chance to observe how he interacted with his, his urban Lagos churches. I'm looking for people that are genuinely generous. I'm looking for people that have a vision to raise up others. I'm looking for people that want what I have, which is skills and understanding cross-cultural multiplication. I mean, there's things that I don't have. So I recognize what I have. And, and using that kind of a filter, then I can prioritize. So like Jacob Akosi, I just mentioned, who just passed away from COVID. That was about a 15, 18 year that we walked together in, in a variety of roles. And, and I count that man as a brother. I count his family members as friends. That's that's the sort of relationship that that I'm looking for, and I think these men and women from Africa, I think that's what they're looking for. Mm. And Bill, is there any pattern in how you find these people, or how they find you? Either, either way. Okay. Um, Pre-COVID, I was well. Well, first of all, is I lived in Japan for several years, lived in Vietnam for a year lived in Thailand and around Southeast Asia for 14 years, then in Hong Kong and working with Chinese house church people for about 10 years, did a lot of training up in Central Asia. Then Susan and I moved to Singapore, and for seven years we were on the road doing a good bit. So so my name was was out there to a certain extent. And then for the last 16 years, been retired in the States, and pre-COVID I'd do a bit of traveling. Okay, so... Uh, I, I accept invitations to go teach and train and coach. I am looking for those who want to follow up with me. Uh, and, and in all of these coaching or training venues, I'll put up my email address or a WhatsApp number. And, and I recognize in some circumstances, I'm going to get a please, I need money kind of thing. And, 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 and that's legitimate. I recognize it. But I look for people who have taken what they've learned and are going as far as they can with it and want help, problem solving, troubleshooting, uh, the next the next step. Um, I learned from a good friend, Ying Kai, who said, I never get much result from going one place and training only one time. If I go one place and then come back, I look for those who've tried to implement and I focus on them. And then I come back again and I look for those who tried to implement. So a key component here is I'm not looking necessarily for those who are fruitful. I'm looking for those who are really working hard at trying to implement what they need. Sometimes fruitfulness is just the result of a small tweak, just changing one or two things, okay, which they didn't hear the first time around or, or I didn't model it well the first time around. Okay, So I'm, I'm looking for those who have that kind of a vision and, and putting effort into it. Um, I don't know if that's if that's helpful. So you you put yourself out there, training, yeah. 
meeting with people, getting your email out, mm-hmm. but you're looking for those who come back to you looking for, hey, I'm I'm having a go implementing this. I need help to make sure I, I get there. So they're, yes. they're, you're, in one sense, you're out there. It's a bit like evangelism <laughs> or finding a wife. <laughs> you put yes. yourself out yes. there. You're yes. looking for who's yes. interested, not just for some Western <laughs> funding or whatever, but interested right, right. because they want to do the work. Sure. And I'll, I'll put a caveat. I put myself out there personally. Um, Steve, you're a friend. We've talked about this. Um, I don't have a website. Uh, I don't write books. I don't have a blog. Um, I don't do any of those impersonal things. I put myself out there hmm. because that is a part. Yes, I think I have some biblical understanding. Yes, I think I have some New Testament understanding of the book of Acts of how God does things. But I'm part of that package. It's not just knowledge. It's not just technique. So I put myself out there, and there are a lot of people who deselect. I'm not the kind of person they want to work with. In the 1960s, I was in the U.S. military in Vietnam, and I, I happened to know a number of missionaries and a number of national pastors, that sort of thing. Okay, then in the 19, that country became communist, 1975, 19, late 80s, 90s, I started visiting there again with various uh, humanitarian projects and reconnecting with believers. Okay, um, this is an antidote, but I hope it's helpful. There were not very many planes going to Vietnam at that time, and they were real small, and there weren't very many foreigners going. And so typically, there were a lot of Christian workers who were on those. And, and on the way out of the country, people would be talking. And very typically, guys who went in that were theologically trained, they were quite smart, they would be talking about, I taught the book of Romans, or I taught the doctrine of this, or I taught that. And and, and that's what they were skilled in, and they there were some other guys who said, let me tell you about Pastor So-and-so. Let me tell you about his wife. Let me tell you about his children. Let me tell you about his kids. Okay. And so it's not a sharp distinction, but I gravitated to those who talked about their disciples rather than whatever content they had dropped on that particular trip. I, gra- I think that's because of who I am and who I'm looking for. I'm looking for locals who want a relationship and are willing to open up to me and my wife and our family and their family. And yes, I have content. And yes, I have, I think, some insights from Scripture. But it has to be much, much more than that. That I don't think my gift is going to these places and unwrapping the mysteries of the Book of Romans. I think it is encouraging and mentoring and raising up and helping with the character of these guys because that's what's going to help them in the long run. But one of my perspectives in a lot of these societies, these situations, really effective guys are quite lonely. Really effective guys are looking for a friend. <clears throat> and I know contemporary now we talk about, are you an encourager? Are you a mentor? Are you a coach? Are you a trainer? The truth is, I don't think any of those words are in the Bible. <laughs> the Bible talks about, about friendship. Mm-hmm. And so a number of these guys, they are looking for somebody who's going to walk beside them for years. Mm. Um, to use more uh, I can say I mean 
think of, of speaking to some guy who is fairly lonely like this, who is a Christian leader, and say to him, I want to be your friend so long that when you have grandchildren, I'm around and I can pray to bless your grandchildren. Mm-hmm. That means I'm with you for the long haul. I'm not just with you for how many disciples you have or how many generations you have or how big your church is. It means I'm here with you. Now, I recognize that that person may stumble and fall. That person may have all kinds of kicker issues. But if I'm truly with them, I'm going to have to help them work through that. Because my goal is what they are as a Christian leader in their society and far beyond 10, 20 years from now. And I say that in distinction to that's different than coming through and have you got three generations yet? What are you doing to get your fourth generation of disciples? You know, to, to say to a young couple that have just had their first and second child and say, I want to be your friend when your kids are getting married. Mm-hmm. You know, the, Mr. K, there's, a, there's, a, there's an Indian fellow that, oh, where was I? He's from India. He and I were co-training in Indonesia a year or two ago. I, I keep up with him. Yes, I mean, there's there's skills about multiplying leaders and raising leaders that I think I can help him with. Mm. But keeping up with he and his wife, rejoicing with he and his children, okay, there's a component that, that I think I have some insights that can bless, but I try not to force it. If he asks me, there's, a, there's another fellow that I worked with a number of years in India, just calling Mr. L, okay? Mm. And I remember when he got his tea plantation, he finally was able to support himself and get off the dole. But I, I remember when he was multiplying disciples way up in the Northeast. And then I worked with some of his disciples way down South. I mean, yes, there, there's a content there. But, but my impression is when the Apostle Paul met with Timothy, he didn't ask him so much the technical details of what was going on as mm. tell me about this. Tell me about Epaphras. Tell me about this. You know, the, how was Tychicus when he got back there? Did he get the message to you? You know, so on and so forth. And in the course of that, I think Paul really did help Timothy see what it's going to take to reach that whole eastern of the Roman Empire. Mm. But I think he also invested in Timothy just like a father invests in a son. Yeah. They're yeah. looking for somebody who's going to stick with them and mentor them in all of their life, as well as just the, the fulfilling their calling from God. One of the earliest foreign workers in China <clears throat> was a German-Dutch fellow named Carl Gutzliff. I mean, Morrison was writing the scripture. Gutzliff was actually out evangelizing, one of the very first ones. He raised up some disciples. He raised up some people who would carry scripture into China. Uh, he was a fervent prayer warrior. He passionate, okay? Um, he he came up with this when they started having some scripture portions in Chinese. Um, he paid these guys to carry scripture portions into China. Uh, at, at first, they were probably pretty faithful. You got more money, more sending them in. It turned out that uh, they started going into China, using his money to smoke opium, come back, sell his literature to the printer who sold it to Gutzliff, who gave it to them, and they took it into China, <laughs> spent the money, came back, sold the literature to the printer. It's a famous story, Carl Gustav's story. Okay. Um, those guys that he worked with, with the first, they, they started pretty well. 
in a simplistic form, Carl Gustav had a vision that was much, much broader than theirs. And he hired them to fulfill his vision. And they crashed and burned morally. They, they were susceptible to temptations they couldn't stand. And I don't know if any of those fellas uh, stayed mm-hmm. with the Lord. Um, I, I know uh, Islamic country in South Asia, uh, is a key young man from that society, good Islamic education. Uh, I know the American who led him to faith and some others who discipled him. And there's a period of time he spent a great effort creating what we call the Camel Method now. It's a, so it's a really great insight from someone who's a deep Islamic thinker. Okay. And it's been quite effective. And his work was quite effective. I've visited out the villages and I, I know this man, I've, I've met his wife, been out to his, his farm. Okay. There came a time when a conglomeration of others said, you need to provide hundreds of thousands of scriptures. You need to provide this. You need to provide that. And in offering him that, and this is an oversimplified react, but it, 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 it's the key component. Okay, he was tempted far beyond what he could what he could withstand, and so large, large amounts of, of money provided for him to do Bible distribution, do other sorts of things, and that that temptation, he started hiring people to do things. Some were believers, some were not. He started generating reports. Some were accurate, some were not. And that whole house of cards collapsed. Um, in, in the last month, I've been involved in another one of those situations where a really fine foreign family have invested in a, a Muslim background a man with a family who was doing a really good job discipling in a quite quite dangerous, quite quite difficult environment. And, and things were going along pretty well. And then the outsiders vision was to see much, much more happen. And they started providing a good bit of funds to hire, facilitate a a much larger ministry. And in the process of that, this person started falsifying, the locals started falsifying reports, started false video reports, this kind of thing. And at at this stage, no one really knows exactly what is underway in that, that particular country. Okay. Uh, I, I can see that that pattern. God's raising up a person. God is honing, refining, equipping, giving a vision to that person to accomplish certain things. Sometimes outside people have a vision that is different or larger or more distinct. And in order to fulfill the outsider's vision, they bring in a lot of financial resources, which causes, I won't say cause, it just, it, it makes someone fall and stumble. And, and I mean, Susan and I lived in Singapore for a number of years. I think you and I met in Singapore. Mm. Um, it, there's some really great, really, really anointed by God pastors in Singapore. I mean, the, some of these are my, my very good friends. There are others who started very, very well. And their ministry grew and the acclaim and the finance and the fame and all that kind of stuff and the ego. And Singaporeans know who some of these people are. Some have gone to jail because of that. Uh, Indonesia is a country just just south of there. I've had some contact with some some really great men. Met their the wives. Okay, their ministry grew and it grew, and they started 
pouring money in themselves, buying Mercedes Benz or buying Bentleys or Rolls. And this anyway, the 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 ego, the pride, the temptation was more than they could stand. And and, and I think one of those fellows is in jail now too. Okay, I, I know that that pattern all around the world. Mm. That you know, I'll, I'll make reference to some of the Singapore pastors. And I'll make reference to that Indonesian pastor and few others. They didn't have somebody that was walking alongside of them that could be an older brother that could pray with them, that could hold them accountable. Um, I was sketching some notes before this, and, and I said, what do some of these local men need? Um, they need a foreign friend who knows their wife's name. That That's a symbol of they know what kind of a husband this guy is. They know what, I mean, in the scripture, isn't it pretty plain? Look, look at a guy's family to see to see you know if he's be a leader. Okay, know what's going on in this man's family. Know where his temptations are and be the prayer partner for him. Many times in these two third world situations, they are not going to ever open up to anybody else in their own country who is a peer about their struggles and their temptations whether it's with pride or with something else. You can come in as a safe outsider and fill a role that is desperate to keep them on track for years and years because the nature of the system is, in a lot of these places, they're never going to open up with that level of honesty to appear in their country. Does that make sense? Yeah, and, and and this isn't just a guy with white hair saying this. I mean, it's it, it's way back way back in the 1990s when I was going to Cambodia and Vietnam. I mean, I mean yes, I mean, I mean, I know man that's so poor they took the door off their house to sell it so they'd have food. I mean, I mean, and they were going through real poverty. Okay? But but what was lacking was not somebody coming and giving money or somebody coming and teaching the latest theology or latest method. What was lacking was somebody who could actually walk with him through his life struggles. And in, in the course of it, yes, I understand principle disciple making and I understand principle more. But that's not what he's asking for. He was asking for something else which could keep him straight. And 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 just using Vietnam's example. Many of those pastors that I knew in the 60s were, when the country fell, the kind of 1975, one particular denomination I'm familiar with, 29 out of 30 pastors fled, left that country, went to abandoned their congregations. One, one did not. Okay, I, I knew him before, I knew him after, I knew his son, but as his son grew up to maturity, and I knew some of his son's ministry. Uh, I mean, you see character for 20, 30 years, even going into the man's son and generation. And that's, that's what you're looking for. Mm. Uh, and I'm not here to condemn all those guys who abandoned their, their kind of, they literally thought they might be killed kind of thing. But I'm looking for the kind of character that sticks with it that year after year, God blessed him and God blessed house churches scattered the length and breadth of that country uh, through, through that particular man. Bill, what else do these do these folk need? Um, sometimes, I mean, sometimes they need a larger vision. I mean, uh, 
here's what the Bible says about the unreached. Here's the extent of the, of the Great Commission. I mean, I mean, I mean, sometimes genuinely God has to impress that part of scripture on them. And, and, and you can help communicate that. Um, sometimes they need problem solving. I was on a uh, call this week, uh, some friends, Turkey related. Basically, we're talking about a, a local person. Okay, said, what that person, when he encounters a problem he's not seen in scripture, and when he encounters a problem he's not dealt with it experientially, you can bring some problem solving tools to him because. You're aware of Christian history. You're aware of movements all around South Asia. You're aware of the parameters of what these movements look like. You can you can bring some problem solving to him because sometimes they bump up against their knowledge and experience. They bump up against their level of understanding. That's a valid role. It's helpful if you only fulfill that role when you've been asked. Mm-hmm. There, are too many, there are too many Westerners who come in and say, uh, I've got the solution to all the problems. Now tell me what your problem is. No, no I'm making a, a bit of a joke here. But but when you're close enough for, for guys, you know, what do I do when there's dissension? What do I do when, when there's party spirit? What do I do when there's all of, of these these kinds of things? Um, and I'm coaching a, 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 a significant movement in South Asia. And, and the the leader, we had a good we had conversations, good conversation the last several months. This, he said, I'm dealing with this, I'm dealing with that, I'm dealing with that. And it was all church-related issues. And so because I saw an approach that worked in Nigeria, I suggested that approach. I said, let your people talk about all the problems of churches. Get them out of their system. And I talked, okay. Then just divide them up in groups and have each of them read through a section of Paul's letter to this church in Corinth. It's his baby. It's the church he founded. It's the church we know more about than any other church in the New Testament. And said, I'll bet they're going to find every one of the problems they're talking about. Yep, they found every one of their own problems. I said, now lead them through a process using Corinthians especially, but somewhat Acts. How did Paul deal with those problems? Don't you take on their burden of solving all their problems in all these hundreds and hundreds of new churches. Get them to Look at a church in the New Testament. Okay, that's a technique. It's going to Scripture. That particular leader of that particular network, it had never occurred to them that the problems in their churches were the same as the problems in the church in Corinth. And Paul had addressed the six or seven, I mean, the immorality and the, the, the party spirit. Paul had addressed all those problems. So my contribution was show them this in scripture and give an approach that might be effective to have those people learn from that, that Corinthian case study. And then when we connected later, she said it worked. Mm-hmm. The, the pressure is off the top leader to solve the problems. And they developed some skills and some insight to see those problems were endemic in the church and the New Testament also. Okay. So I think that was a contribution to that particular situation. And I only made that contribution when they asked me how to deal with it. I mean, I could have dropped that Corinthian case study on them five years ago or seven years ago. Nobody would have wanted it, and it would have been effective. I mean, I have lots and lots of pictures of baptisms. Um, I take some pride in the fact that 
God used me to equip people who are multiplying disciples and multiplying churches. Mm. Um, one of the things that gets me up is the fact that God is orchestrating things much, much larger and more complicated than we can ourselves. Mm. 20 years ago, we found this businessman and his family in Singapore who are called to missions, and we helped them go to China. Right now, from a really restricted place in South Asia, they're coaching some disciples of mine how to do digital ministry up in Guinea. None of that's accidental. What gets me up in the morning is there are probably a thousand of those things underway. And just every once in a while, God blesses and lets me see the outline of, you know, these people in Ghana have done this and they and they got your guys going out of their country and somebody's doing this. Okay. My brain's not big enough to conceive of all of those things God's doing. But just in the last few weeks, I get this text from some guys that are calling me their godfather because I'm the one who got them out of a really staid, plateaued kind of a, a ministry. And, I mean, I, I can think of 20 or 30 of those. I get up in the morning. I look forward to getting online and finding out what messages or things have come to me because often it's a cause of rejoicing. Look what God is doing. And sometimes it is a friend of a friend passing that information. I haven't thought of them in decades. Well, if you know someone who'd find the Movements podcast helpful, why not leave a review or uh, send the word out via uh, social media? It really helps. This is Steve Addison for the Movements podcast.